And if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1, verses 13 and 14. And uh, yes, we do have it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, if you're a visitor here and you don't have a Bible, you can read it right off the screen. Um, Philippians 1, 13 through 14, it says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is the word of God. Just remain standing as I pray. Father, we come before you today, Father, as your word is going to be presented to us, Father. Father, you have directed a path for us to follow, Father. And we just ask right now, as we hear your word, that you would lead us that you would lead our hearts down the path you have designed for us, that we would be uh, tender to your word and that we would receive all that you have for us on this day. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So good to be here this morning. I hope that we can all just be spending some time praying for our um, time next week where we're going to be able to meet hopefully a lot of people and pray that God brings a lot of new people and uh, at, our, at our outdoor movie, and um, we're not doing this to be entertained or um, to rub elbows even with each other. We're doing this to reach lost people with the gospel of Christ. This is kind of a, a neutral way to do it where people come for a you know, family fun event and we get to meet them and hopefully um, build relationships and that begin um, to have gospel conversations. And I hope that we can pray for those, pray for gospel conversations, pray for um, just connections that we make with people when they come. Pray that people come. <laughs> pray that it doesn't rain. Um, just uh, d- different things to pray for so that we can see um, lost people come to Christ and um, fill up this chapel and other chapels in this area um, so that they can know Jesus Christ more fully and completely. Just excited, too, to be able to um, expand our current seating space to have more seats on fuller Sundays that we can put out um, for new people, and um, isn't that great news? We got our permit to begin construction in here, so that's good news. You can applaud that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that'll be happening soon, and, and hopefully we'll be able to put out like 30 or 40 more chairs um, if we have a full Sunday and um, have pe- give people a comfortable place to sit um, and hear the gospel perhaps for the very first time and um, come to know Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're here to build up the church and we're here to reach lost people for Jesus. Um, that's why we're here. There's really two, two things that, two aims in life of why we do church together. It's so that we can grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, become stronger and more holy and more like Jesus, but also to see new, new people birthed into the kingdom of God. Amen? So that's just exciting. I hope that you can pray for that and um, that you're, you're getting ready for that. And um, just excited to see our small groups growing too. If you're kind of new and you want to connect, um, with other people and just kind of get to know people better. We, we meet on Wednesday nights for Bible study, um, and on Saturday, Saturday mornings there's also a women's group and a men's group. Um, so th- those are a lot of fun, and if you just want to connect and get to know people, um, that, that, happens, um, that happens on Wednesday night and Saturday morning, right here, by the way. Right, um, we have, meet in some of the rooms in, in, the, in the chapel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope that the text was encouraging to you. I think it takes a wise person um, to recognize that they're bound up by something. Maybe in a good way or a bad way. If you're married, you're bound up by something. Amen? You are bound to your wife. You are bound to your husband. See, that's kind of an ugly word for, to describe marriage, but it's true, isn't it? 
I am absolutely devoted to one woman in my life. And that means that I have um, put off every other woman, sorry ladies, um, every other woman in this room (laughs) and in the world. Essentially, I have said no to all of them and one to that beautiful lady smiling in the back. So I'm bound to her for the rest of my life till death do us part. But other times we're bound to things that aren't so necessarily delightful, bound to addictions or bound to sin, bound to suffering. We learn this um, throughout the Bible as just a hard reality, um, even in particular to the Satan and his devices and the addiction of sin. It says in Romans chapter 7, for example, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness, the result eternal life. I think someone once said, you're going to serve somebody. It's an old song, isn't it? Slaves to sin. What is it? Is it Bob Dylan? Of course, Morgan knew. Um, (laughs) Slaves to sin leading to death or slaves to God leading to life. Now, as Americans, we don't like the idea of being bound to anything. We stand on independence and freedom, supposedly. So it's kind of in our blood to think as if that that freedom and independence is a virtue, and indeed it is. But friend, we're all bound to something. We're all devoted to something, to God or to this world. In the letter that we're studying in Philippians, we're going to read in verse 19, um, I believe in chapter 3, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their appetite, their emotion. Their glory is in their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. Our gods at time, the thing that we're slave to most can be the whims of our own hearts, bound to our perceived needs and desires. How many people have ever experienced that? I have to, have to find love. We're bound to it. We think as if somehow our personal identity or self-worth is bound up to marriage or to power or fame. We can be bound to these things. But here's this man, Paul, and every earthly sense of the word has been stripped of all human freedom and dignity. He's in prison, yet is the freest person in the room. The freest, most joyful, happiest person in the room. He says, I am in these chains for Christ. He's in prison, if you've forgotten. He is literally speaking of literal shackles that he was tied to a guard or a wall. He absolutely had no freedom, yet he was the freest person in the room. Friends, I think at times we can find ourselves feeling a sense of perceived liberty, yet enslaved to something. And this is what I want to talk about today, how suffering in life, this was Paul's suffering, Paul's lot, Paul was in prison, this was not a good situation, But yet he was free. And friend, you can be free too no matter what situation you found yourself in. You can be in an awful marriage. You can be literally in prison. Your kids can be maniacs. But you can find freedom in Christ. You can find a rejoicing heart and peace in the risen Savior. 
And it doesn't come by changing your situation. It comes right here, and we'll get to that in a moment. So friends, can I ask you a question? Are you a slave to your suffering? To your past negative events? Or maybe how they continue on into the future? To your situation? Are you a slave to your sin? Does it bind you up? Have you gone through times in life when there was nothing else in the room but your problem? You know what I mean? There's nothing else in the room but your problem, your heartache, your trouble. The Apostle Paul here is a great example of how to be bound but free. Abused and suffering but rejoicing. Now a couple of weeks ago, we, we kind of went above the forest. We took a bird's eye look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, if you remember. We observed that the glory of Christ was the unifying principle, principle of Paul's life. Now for the next three sermons, I kind of want to go down back into the forest. I want to go back to these verses and look at them a little bit more carefully. And we're going to deal with three situations that pa- Paul found himself in. This morning, we're going to look at his personal suffering in verses 13 through 14. Um, the next one is a divided church, verses 15 through 18. How many people have ever been there? Number three, an uncertain future, verses 19 through 26. I don't know that there's a soul in this room, whether you know Jesus or not, where, well, I guess maybe um, if you don't know Jesus, number two wouldn't apply, but haven't gone through personal sufferings, a divided church, or an uncertain future. We kind of are all touched by this at some point in our Christian lives. And even if you're not a Christian, maybe not a divided church, but a divided workplace or a divided family, we go through this. We go through suffering and division and uncertainty. And how did Paul deal with it? How did he navigate these things in life? This is what we're going to be talking about. And I hope that these next three sermons are going to be encouraging to you. What is the ballast of life? The secret to joy and peace, even in times of trouble. Now be reminded that in verse 12, remember this amazing verse that I think is so important for us to remember. It's just so packed with truth. It reads, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That word happened is really loaded because a lot of bad stuff happened to Paul. Nothing short of horrifying. Read the book of Acts and you'll see everything that happened to Paul. One harrowing event after another. But Paul shifts from the past. He's saying, okay, this happened to me. Look at me now. Look at my situation that I'm currently in. And he begins to hold up his arms and point to the links of his chains. And he says, look at this. You think it's gotten any better for me? It hasn't. On an earthly sense, it hasn't. It's getting worse. I got thrown off a tumultuous ship sinking in a storm, deserted on an island only to be brought to Rome in chains. So life isn't getting better, life is getting worse. This is my worst life now, right? (laughs) So he points to to his current chains in verse 14. Now some of the, the translations that you might have in your laps say my imprisonment or my bonds or my chains. They all kind of describe the same thing. But he is literally, I think, holding up his manacles, his irons that shackle him and bind him up and take his freedom. He doesn't give much about the nature of his current suffering. He doesn't say much about it. He just kind of bids us to look at the fact that he is not free. He is suffering. He draws attention to the fact that he 
is one suffering. I wonder how, might, how Paul might respond to that popular notion that sometimes we hear in the church today that he should just kind of simply visualize these chains falling off his body, visualize being free, visualize sitting in a new car, say the words, receive the blessing. No, indeed, he says, I am Paul, the chained. He doesn't do this to evoke pity. He's not complaining. He's not bitter, and he's not in despair. He asks us to look at these chains, these links of persecution, so that we might see past them to see what God is doing through them. You see, because friends, that's your only hope with your chains. When you hit a roadblock in life, a speed bump, something that just gets in your face and you weren't expecting it, a problem, a crisis, a trial... So he bids us to look at these links of persecution to see past them to God. It's almost like Joseph announced what man means for evil, God means for good. Can you see past your chains this morning? Your trial? Or are you angry? Mad that God has put you where he's put you? As we continue to examine our text this morning, I want to do two things. I want to see the good that Christian suffering can produce. And I want to look at the attitude that brings about this fruitful suffering. So let's look at the first. The good that Christian suffering might produce in our lives. There are two great and obvious outcomes to Paul's suffering. First, he's in chains, and these chains were a testimony to the lost. So number one good outcome of Paul's suffering, his chains, his trial, his suffering, was a testimony to the lost. And your suffering might be that too, friend. Have you ever stopped to consider that perhaps the trial you endure, you are enduring so that Christ's fame might spread. Our text reads, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. It's almost kind of like we trip over that statement. It's become clear that the whole palace guard and everyone else, what does that mean? (laughs) A lot of people, that I am in chains for Christ. The palace guard is the praetorian guard. These are like the navy seals of the day. This was a highly functioning soldier, and it was a highly sought-after position in the Roman army. People competed to be part of this regime. One of their duties, apparently, was to guard prisoners awaiting trial before Caesar, obviously because they were guarding Paul. And there are a couple of ways, I imagine, how did these guards... Why, why would they conclude that Paul's chains were because of Jesus and not because he was obnoxious? You know, sometimes we go through trial because we're foolish. Don't you know that? <laughs> like, we put them on ourselves. But other times, our trials seem out of our control, like something has happened to us that no one could have prevented in life. 
So here is Paul in chains for Christ. How on earth would these high-functioning soldiers have learned this? Well, no doubt Paul simply told them. Paul was preaching the gospel to them. It's obvious to me that not only was he preaching the gospel, that no doubt these these same soldiers chained to him might have been seeing the letters he was writing or the different visitors that he met with and saw his concern for the church and for the glory of Christ and for the spread of the gospel. So this praetorian guard was starting to realize that Paul was there because of Jesus. And they started believing in Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That the message of the cross was spreading all throughout Rome, all throughout military and police and, and politicians, that Paul was there for Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity to use your suffering, an awful situation that none of us would want to find ourselves in, for the glory of Jesus. You know, sometimes because of the nature of our suffering, certain people are looking at you. They're interested in how you handle it. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your co-workers. They, they have a window into your suffering and they wonder, okay, what's dad going to do? What's mom going to do? What's my husband going to do in this situation? Are we going to proclaim Christ? And trust in Christ, or are we going to fall to pieces? So Paul, no doubt, simply told these guards about Christ. They overheard him talk of Christ. And the gospel had advanced among the entire guard and to everyone else. Now you might perhaps have heard of methods of evangelism. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might have taken a methods of evangelism class. Right? How do I share my faith effectively? And these range from like door-to-door knocking, open air in the park, just kind of proclaiming Jesus out loud, tent meetings, friendship evangelism. Have you heard of that one? But I've never taken a class or read a book on methods of evangelism or church growth that opens with chapter one, suffering. Because it's clear to me that the way the church grew in Paul's context was because of his suffering. It wasn't because of his clever trick that he used. It was because he proclaimed Christ under great pressure. He continued in his faith under great trial. And that's what preached the gospel. That's the tool that God used to bring many to faith in Jesus. So in all of our scheming and planning, in all of our clever ideas, in all of our tools and methods, isn't it remarkable how little the Bible says about any of them and how much it says standing as a towering power and gospel growth is the church's capacity to handle suffering. You know, part of that suffering is with each other, how we handle each other. Because sometimes, you know, churches can get kind of nasty. How do we handle that? How we suffer, what it does to our spirit, will either spread or stifle the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, the second good of Paul's suffering, that Paul's chains inspired the church. We see that very clearly in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They were fearless and they were daring in their proclamation of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? It wasn't because of Paul's freedom. It wasn't because of his perceived prosperity. It was because of his suffering. 
Oddly and ironically enough, God used Paul's suffering to inspire the church to the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The church became confident in the gospel preaching. They became daring and fearless in proclaiming Jesus. And they weren't the clergy, by the way. These weren't the bishops or the pastors with the high hats and the vestules. They, were com- they weren't the commissioned evangelists. They were church members, like you, who were inspired to make the fame of Jesus Christ known. And they were inspired by the suffering that Paul went through. They became daring proclaimers of Jesus Christ. I want you to note the source that their confidence was in the Lord. They were confident in the Lord and dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Their confidence came from the Lord Jesus Christ. It came from Him and Him only. They weren't confident in their skills, their ability to proclaim. They weren't even confident because of the apostles, but because of the risen and victorious Jesus Christ. They became confident in proclaiming his name. That Jesus is to be trusted even, quote, when everything appears to be going wrong. Yes. Because I think we've all been there where it seems as if everything about our lives is going wrong. Everything is falling apart. My kids are fighting, my husband is leading me and the, leaving me, and the dog just bit the cat. <laughs> this is not a good time in my life. But do we trust Jesus when everything is gro- going wrong? Brothers and sisters, these brothers and si- sisters demonstrated their confidence in the boldness and fearless proclamation of the gospel. Can we still even when punched in the stomach, proclaim Jesus. Can we do that? Paul was in prison because of his boldness and fearlessness, but something happened to the church. Their survival instincts suddenly took a back seat. You'd think the very fact that Paul was in prison because of his boldness and confidence, that you would think it would cause them to shrink back from being bold and confident knowing that, you know, it's likely we'll end up in prison too. That's how my logic would have worked. We might shut up for a little while. Lay low. (laughs) Paul's in prison because of this. Shh. Let's do, you know, let's preach the gospel with love and not words. (laughs) Right? That's not what they do. They stand up all the more boldly and proclaim Jesus Christ to friend and neighbor and to other. Paul was in prison because of his boldness and fearlessness. Something happened to the church. Their survival instincts took a back seat to what was their command to make Jesus known. To preach in, in the Greek is a, um, means to do the work of a herald. Did you know this? A herald simply delivers the message of someone else. Usually a higher power, king, or royalty. Our simple job is to faithfully transmit the message of our higher authority. And that is Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. That's the simple job of the church, to be heralds of the gospel. Christ crucified. Now at this point you might be thinking what I thought. Not all of our suffering turns out like this. Right? Not all suffering in life leads to kind of like a fruitful ministry where the church is being encouraged and people are getting saved. A lot of times our suffering does quite the opposite. We handle it very poorly these chains 
that are tied to our wrists and arms? What then makes it useful? How do we overcome? How do we have hope and joy and peace and proclaim the gospel in spite of the trials we face? So let's talk about this, number two, the attitudes and actions of fruitful suffering. What makes suffering fruitful? Because it's not always. But what makes it fruitful? So that the gospel might spread and the church might be encouraged. Well, the first thing that you need to do, that we need to realize, number one, is that we need to accept and embrace chains. We need to accept and embrace suffering. What I mean by this is that everyone has this. Everyone has chains. Everyone. I said that at the beginning. You can be chained to your sin or you can call Christ Lord. One devotion will inevitably lead you to deny something else. Like I use the illustration with my wife. If I'm, if I'm chained to her, if I'm bound to her, I inevitably have to say no to lots of other things in life. So whenever it is that we choose a path or we choose a lane... We have to deny ourselves in some other way. To be devoted in marriage is going to lead to denying sensual appetite. You're going to have to say no to it. To be devoted to athletics, you're going to have to deny certain foods and certain activities. You know, some desire companionship and other expertise, and other people want to be recognized. You might be bound to these things. To follow Christ at times means denying ourselves something that we want. Oh, and how that can be hard. Can't that be difficult? I'm going to get to that at the end. Sometimes the things that Christ calls us to deny ourselves of are blatantly sinful and we know it. It's still hard, isn't it? (laughs) But other times he calls us to deny ourselves in, in things that aren't necessarily sinful, but it's not what he's chosen for our lives. He's said go left where he's allowed a lot of other people to go right. And are we going to embrace it or are we going to kick and scream? Our prayer should be, let my denial, let my chains glorify Jesus Christ. Friends, we're under orders. Did you know that? If you're a Christian and you follow Jesus Christ, you are under orders from the Lord of the universe from God in heaven. Under orders. Paul says in verses 16 and 17, we're not there yet in our text, but he says, I was put here. And he's not talking about the the Roman soldiers. He's not even talking about the religious antagonists. He's saying, God put me in this prison for a reason. And he did it so that the guard would come to know Jesus and that the church would start proclaiming Christ. It wasn't my plan Paul wanted to go to Spain. Did you know that? This was not his plan to be in prison in Rome. Paul had all these elaborate plans of how he wanted to serve Jesus, the churches he wanted to plant, the countries he wanted to visit, to spread the gospel love of Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, he's whipped away to Rome and he's in prison, not part of his plan. Have you ever not been, have you, has, has life ever turned out for you like that? This wasn't my plan. How did I end up here? I wanted to do this and that. But friends, we're under orders from the living God. 
And Paul didn't take his situation into his own hands. He didn't try to break the shackles off his wrists and run to Spain like he wanted to. He didn't sin against God and his word to receive some kind of earthly pleasure. You know, certain soldiers might pick the kind of duty that they're assigned to if you're in the military, right? Where you want to go, what country you want to be in. Peter did this. Did you know that? You remember this story? I love this story. It's in John chapter 21. Jesus is speaking to the apostle Peter, one of his 12 disciples. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to all the apostles. And he says, truly I tell you this. Imagine Jesus Christ suddenly poofing into this room and saying, Morgan, I got some news for you. Right? Put your name in there. And this is what he says. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good so far. Yeah, that's what I did. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. But we're under orders. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. There's a kind of death in our lives that will glorify God. It might not be actual death, but it it is the denying of something. It's some suffering put on you that will glorify God if you embrace it. But what does Peter say? You guys remember this story? Peter turned, he looked around. Now at the, end of the, at the end of his life, Eusebius records that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down with his family because he, would, he refused to be executed the same way as Jesus Christ. But Peter, not so wise and so mature yet, responds to Christ as a young Peter. He turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved and saw that he was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Like, this isn't fair. What about John? Is he going to have to do this? Is he going to have to? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. You know, some of us in this room will never be as wealthy as someone else. You might always be struggling with money. You might always be struggling with your health. While you watch the church around you jumping and flipping and healthy, some of you might be single. While you watch others get married and have children. You see, friends, let's look at it again. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. You know that you can glorify God in your suffering, in your loss. Very often in life, Christians, we bear chains. And we need to seek the courage to hold them up and bravely declare, I bear these for Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. It's worth it. I'm going to bear demotion for Christ. I'm going to bear singleness for Christ. I'm going to bear disease for Christ. And I'm going to glorify God in my body. And the whole Praetorian Guard knew that these chains were for Christ. And the church boldly proclaimed Jesus. When we see that kind of faith in each other, it inspires us, friends. It inspires us. 
we need to take a look around. This is worth it. You want to know why? And this is number two. Here's the second attitude. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your singleness. He's better than your marriage. Jesus is better than a healthy body. Jesus is better than lots of money. Jesus is better than good jobs. Jesus is better than lots of children. Jesus is better than no children if you have lots of children. (laughs) Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any perceived advantage that you're pursuing in life. So take off those chains. They lead to death. And put on Jesus because he's better. Remember that text in Romans 7. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? He's using some logic here. How did it go for you? How did it benefit you? They result in death, burden, heaviness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Jesus is better. And if you don't know that, you're always going to hate the chains that are on you. You're going to despise your life and maybe even hate God. We can resist them. We may. We can be chained to this world or our sin or our desires. We can be chained, chained to sex or romance or anything like this. But there's a sting, and it's death. It doesn't work. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to examine those memorable words, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I want you to just kind of think about this a little bit. Let's use our brains together, right? Are we ready? I know it's early, but let's use them. Consider what Paul's saying here. To die is gain. The, the call to the Christian life is to really believe that, that d- death is gain. So you know what it's saying? Death is better than my kids. Death is better than my job. Death is better than my husband or my wife. It doesn't make us despise them or treat them poorly. It just puts it into perspective. That what I need most in life is Jesus. As you, might have, you, you might think, like, oh, you know, like, shouldn't I love my, my husband or my wife or my kids most? Well, you, believe it or not, when you love them most, you love them le- less. When you love Jesus more than them, it actually kind of opens up this power to really treat them well and to love them extravagantly in a way that you couldn't before. And that's just true. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Because in death, we lose marriage, we lose friends and children, we lose our, maybe potentially we have fame or fortune. But you know what Paul's saying? Jesus is better than all those things. He's better. How will any of us accept any shackle, any chain, any suffering at all, if we don't clearly see the gain prepared for us in Christ, that it's worth it. Suffering can be fruitful when we accept our chains and we trust that Jesus Christ is better than any loss. Amen? And third, suffering is fruitful when we proclaim Jesus. Paul was like a schoolboy in love. Have you ever met any youngster in love that couldn't stop talking about their boyfriend or their girlfriend? 
it's kind of annoying, right? We know you like them. It's great. You have a crush. They only want to be with them. It's unhealthy. We all know this. But Paul is like this kind of with Jesus. He's like a schoolboy in love. He could, couldn't help but talk about Jesus Christ. If the entire church was charged to proclaim the gospel and motivated to proclaim the gospel, we just kind of have to assume it's because they saw Paul doing this, Paul proclaiming the gospel, even in his suffering. He was preaching, proclaiming, heralding the name of Jesus Christ in spite of the burdens he carried. And friends, can I challenge us to do the same? In spite of the weights on your feet, the load on your back to proclaim Christ that he is faithful to the end. Suffering that is fruitful doesn't complain and isn't angry. It proclaims the gospel. Finally, this might be a little relieving for you. (laughs) You say, how can any of us do this? I failed so abysmally at this like my whole life. Have I ever done this correctly? The fruitful sufferer casts his cares on Jesus. Let me explain to you what I mean. So far, this, like I said, might be kind of a hard message. Jesus is better, friends. Proclaim the gospel in your suffering. Embrace the change. Rejoice. You say, oh, good grief. I don't think I've ever done that. Let me encourage you to recall or remember something, that faithfulness and godliness in this does not mean that this is easy. And it doesn't mean that your heart isn't going to want an easier way. A simpler way. A way that has less suffering in it. That doesn't mean that you're not kind of embracing this and and going through your suffering fruitfully. And and you say, well, prove it, Kyle. Okay, let's look at Jesus Christ. He's probably the, the best example, right? Let's pick a better one than him. Let's look at Jesus. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus is about to die. He's about to be crucified. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. It's not easy. I'm not trying to preach a sermon as if to say that your trouble should be light or easy. Or we should treat it flippantly. It's hard. It can grieve us. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Jesus, the one who knew no sin. So obviously, this is not sin for him to feel this way, right? I just got to assume that if the Bible says Jesus never sinned, then this emotion of distress is not sinful. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed to God that if possible, this hour might pass from him. You know, a message like this might come across the wrong way to you. That it should be easy, the burden you carry. That suffering should be light and you should have a fake smile. But it isn't always like that. And and God doesn't kind of impatiently look at us with disdain because it's hard and because we grieve and because we want a lighter load. He doesn't do that. He says, cast your cares on me for I care for you. And may we repeat with Jesus Christ, not my will, 
but thy will be done. Even if it's a cross. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are the one who, Jesus Christ is the one who knew no sin. And what a sobering moment in Christ the sufferer when he fell to the ground and prayed, oh, let this hour pass from me. God, I pray, Lord, if we're going through an hour like that, that we would cast your cares like Jesus did on you and imitate his heart, but not my will, thy will be done. I pray, Lord, that we would remember that you are in control, that we would remember that oftentimes in life where we've ended up is not an accident. Help us to trust you. Help us to proclaim you. And I pray, Lord, God, that we would embrace the suffering that you receive, that you would be glorified, Lord, in the trials we endure. And I pray, Lord, that through it and by it, many would come to know Jesus and that the church would be encouraged. God, we thank you, Lord, for this this morning. We thank you for this Lord's Day where Jesus Christ took sin on a cross, rose again to, to life so that all our burdens and all our chains would one day, once and for all, finally be removed. They're all temporary. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you that you're in it, that you work by it, that what man means for evil, you mean for good. And I pray, God, that we would glorify you in our lives and body. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ and that they want to accept a beautiful Savior who died and rose again for them, turn from your sin, friend. Accept that God is a holy God. Altogether loving and lovely and righteous and good. And we worshiped other gods and disobeyed him. And we're separate from him and that's the death we carry. But friend, turn from your sin. Trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and be saved, be forgiven, be reconciled to God. Have the hope of eternal life where all your chains will fall off of you in the life to come. If that's you, cry out to God in faith this moment. Trust in Jesus. Oh, and please come talk to me. Make your faith known. Proclaim it so that I can pray with you. God, if there's anyone else here tonight that's a believer in Jesus Christ that's carrying that that load, that chain, that suffering, I pray, God, that you would bless them. Help their hearts to be comforted. Help them to cast their cares on you. Help them to know that their source of joy in the midst of trial stands with Jesus Christ. So God, I pray, Lord, that we would take our burdens to you and that you would give us courage and strength to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.